Yeah, because Strachan is with Mark, or is with Robin. back there. Yes, thank you. Well, good evening, Nassim. Let's go ahead and bring down the, the music in the house, although it's good music. Um, as you can tell, I am not Bill. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, I, I am grateful to get to be with you today. Bill actually had a shot in his shoulder. They put a cortisone shot in his shoulder. And we will find out tomorrow whether that really loosens up and deals with some of the nerve issues that he's been dealing with. The beautiful thing is that they had told Bill that he was going to need five or six surgeries and at this point, it's looking like he might not need any. So that's a huge answer to prayer. Um, another one is we're lifting up our sister Robin. Mark, uh, who's normally up in the, the sound booth, is not here tonight because he's at the ER with his wife Robin. Um, and she's dealing with some AFib in her heart. And so we are going to, in just a moment, we're going to pray uh, for God's hand upon her as they try to get that heart beating in that regular rhythm without having to shock her, like Kickstarter. Um, Jeff is doing really, really well. He's across the street with, I believe, close to 10 junior hires right now, so we should probably pray for him. Um, one of them's mine, so we definitely need to be praying for him. Um, and then I just am really grateful for those of you who've been praying for us. My wife has been sleeping really soundly, and it is wonderful that she's doing so well. So um, it is obvious to you, it's obvious to me, that ever since we started Revelation, the enemy has been go doing a full court press on our staff and many in our church community. It's interesting when you uh, begin pushing against something that, it, you know, the, the enemy pushes back, and he has been. And yet it's be actually been emboldening us, kind of reminding us that we're moving in the right direction. So, you know, if he wants to keep pushing against us, it's letting us know it's working. Um, it's encouraging us. So let me, do, let me go ahead and open with prayer before we dive in. I'd like to pray for Robin specifically. Father God, I'm grateful for this opportunity to gather here. I'm grateful for Bill's leadership in this time, and I'm grateful to get to step in um, to his shoes tonight. But I do pray that you would be with him as that cortisone shot begins to work through his shoulder. And specifically, Father, we lift up Robin. I pray that you, we 
Today, earlier in our staff meeting, we specifically prayed that you would send the right physicians to care for her. And when she went to the, the uh, ER, she happened to be met by a, a heart specialist who was able to diagnose what was going on. So thank you for that answered prayer. And I thank you in advance for how you're going to be ministering to her through this whole process and getting her heart back into a regular rhythm. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide our conversation tonight. Would you be glorified in this conversation as we open your word and spend some time unpacking it? Jesus, in your holy name, amen. <clears throat> okay, um, before we dive into the actual text, a couple of thoughts. First is that we, you guys ever been to the ophthalmologist before? You know, some of you are wearing glasses. I'm, I'm halfway through my 40s and I've been fighting it, but a couple years ago, I happened to be going to Costco, and, you know, it's the only place where you can get a check-in, get some new tires for your car, and get your eyes checked all in the same visit. So I went there. I had a chicken in my cart, and I'm, I'm pushing it out, and I just turned 40 a, a, about a year before, and I'd been noticing that my reading had been kind of slowing down a little bit. So I'm like, I might as well get my eyes checked. And so I stop in at the ophthalmologist, and you basically sit down, and there's this picture that they have you look at and they begin to just drop different lenses in front of your eyes and some of them make the picture more blurry others of them bring it into greater focus and then finally one drops into place and it's all crystal clear you can see it as well as you could when you were a child and your eyesight was perfect back before you know you, you stared at the sun too long or something like that um, that every single one of us has a lens through which we view the world Every single one of us has a lens, whether we recognize it or not. No, we may not necessarily be wearing glasses, but we view the world through a lens that's been developed through our lifetime. It's been in some ways shaped by our family of origin and, and the, the views and the values and the perspectives on life that was afforded to you by your parents. It's also shaped by your friends and your teachers and the people you look up to and their perspective. It's shaped by the television shows you have watched. It's shaped by the music that you listen to. It's shaped by where you get your news. All of the, it's also, by the way, shaped very much by the things you've experienced. So if you've had trauma, it's going to affect the way you view the world. All of this is important because a, a lens does not actually change what's there. It simply changes your ability to perceive what's there, right? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of you with glasses on your face. You see something. Your glasses aren't changing what's here. It's simply changing your ability to see it. And in the same way, the lenses that you have developed over the course of your life, we'll call them your worldview, have been due in some ways alter your perception of reality. So then the question becomes, in what ways is it altering it? In positive or negative ways? Because let's be honest, some of our lenses actually warp our perception of reality more than anything. If you've been hurt, it's going to cause you to watch, you know, look at other relationships with kind of a wary eye. Um, if you grew up in a family with an absentee father and then I were to talk about God being the father, it is going to affect the way you hear that word, God as father. It's, it, it simply is because your family of origin and in fact your relationship with your father could and probably does 
shape the way you think about your dad. I even think about the ways that I grew up in a family where my parents are still together. I love my dad. I have a, he's one of my heroes. And yet, I can see the ways that my relationship with him, my attempts to earn his approval and his favor have played into my attempts to earn my heavenly father's approval and his favor. And so often I have to remind myself, my identity is not based upon what I do for him. My relationship is not based upon how well I perform. He loves me, period. Okay, so, so all I want us to recognize is that we each carry in to this conversation a lens through which we view the world. And what the book of Revelation, this letter that John pens for us, gives us is a new perspective, a new lens through which to view the world. It is an apocalypse, and I do not mean apocalypse like we typically use the word today as a destruction. It is an apocalypse meaning an unveiling of what is. It is a peeling back of the um, blinders or the, the, the filters that have been over our eyes so we can actually see what is, so we can begin to approach the world with a better understanding of what really is. And the way that John does that, particularly in, John, in Revelation chapter 4, is he gives us a new perspective on who is really in control. And tonight we're going to read back over Revelation 4, this glimpse into the throne room of heaven. But, as I said, like, man, has it been like two months now that we've been in Revelation? As I said in our very first conversation, we can't fully appreciate the letter of Revelation, if we don't remember that it is pulling from imagery and, and Old Testament sources. There's 404 verses in the letter of Revelation. There are over 500 references to the Old Testament. And so as we read Revelation chapter 4, this peek into the throne room of heaven, this entrance into the Holy of Holies, the command central of the universe... I first want us to go in knowing how other people have experienced God because it will inform the way that we hear this. And so before we read Revelation chapter 4, we're going to go back and we're going to read a couple of other theophanies. And this is, a theophany is simply an encounter with God, okay? Some other times when people came face to face with the living God. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you, whether you're here or you're at home, to turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, in fact, the second book of the Bible. So go to Exodus chapter 19. What we're going to read takes place as the people of God are journeying through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and specifically they come to the foot of a mountain called Mount Sinai, where God is going to covenant himself with them. And in Exodus chapter 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 16, we read, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Now, obviously this is scary to the people, 
And we're going to jump a little bit ahead. This is when God hands them the Ten Commandments and kind of establishes this is what it looks like to live as my people, to be set apart for me. But we're going to go ahead and jump to after that happens. So go ahead and go to chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They were terrified at this powerful, awesome, you know, showing of God's power. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Hey, you talk to us. We don't want to hear God's voice because it's overwhelming to us. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Don't be terrified of him. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. I've always found that very interesting that you, you get fear referenced twice. Don't be afraid of him. Don't be terrified. But God is doing this intentionally. He's showing you his might intentionally so that the Yare Elohim, the fear of the living God, which is, as we remember in Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom, so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. As we talked about a little bit on Sunday, that fear of God is a reverential understanding of who God is in comparison to ourselves. He's God and I'm not. It's the same way that I would have... Like if I saw a, a tornado bearing down on me, I am, I'm not going to expect the tornado to go around me, right? I'm going to order myself around the tornado because the tornado is obviously much more powerful than me. Or to use another analogy, I love the ocean. I've grown up going to the ocean. I want my kids to love the ocean. But I also know that the ocean is powerful. In fact, I know that the waves are more powerful than my kids, and it can easily harm them if they're flippant about it or they take it lightly. And so every time we go to the beach, the first thing I do is I have my boys sit on the beach with me for 10 minutes to watch the waves. I want them to see its power. I want them to see how it's breaking. I don't want them to be afraid of the water, but I want them to respect the water because it's more powerful than them. I, I, and when they respect the power of the water, they begin to order themselves around it rather than demanding that the waves do whatever they want. Same thing with God. Don't be afraid of God as if he's some cosmic traffic cop just waiting to slap you down. But have a reverential respect for the fact that he is God and you are not. And because he is God and you are not... Rather than demanding he order creation to suit your whims, you begin to order your life around him. You submit yourself to him. That is the beginning of wisdom. So there you go. Exodus, uh, that's the, one of the first encounters that the people of God have with God. Let's go ahead and move forward now to Isaiah chapter 6. So that's about halfway through the Old Testament. If you find yourself in Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, keep going right. If you find yourself in, say, Jeremiah or Daniel or Hosea, go left. Isaiah was a prophet. He was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judea. He was a, a priest. And he had an encounter with the living God that we're going to read about here in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphim, these are angels, each with six wings, and two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. And remember, this is a holy priest during one of the holier seasons, one of the better seasons of Israel's history. And yet when he comes face to face with the holy, holy, holy God of Israel, his response is, woe to me. For I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the angels, one of the seraphim, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and with it he touched the tongs from the altar, and then he touched that coal to my mouth and said, See, it has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, you can send me. Okay, that's one last place we're going to read before we get to Revelation 4. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel is just a couple of books to the right. Go past Jeremiah. Ezekiel chapter 1. In my 30th year, on the fourth month, on the fifth day, and while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River. So Ezekiel was a contemporary of Isaiah, but he was about 500 miles away, exiled in Babylon. He's writing from exile. He's a priest who has been separated from the temple. But while he's in exile, God calls him to be a prophet to the people, to the exiles. So in my 30th year, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. And there the hand of the Lord was upon him. And now these are the words that he, or this is the vision that he saw. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashes of lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. Pay attention to that word, living creatures, because we're going to hear it again later in Revelation 4. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed with burnished bronze. Under their wings and on four sides they had human hands. And all four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another... And the faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. And on the right side, they had the face of a lion. And on the left side, the face of an ox. And they even had the face of an eagle. Pay attention to that. Because when we get to Revelation 4, their faces, one like a lion, one like an ox, one like an eagle, and one like a human being. Again, this is not something new that John was seeing. These are angels that he has seen in this vision. Let's go ahead and skip a little bit ahead. These angels are kind of at the base of the throne of heaven. So we're going to skip down to verse 25. 
there came a voice from above the vault over their heads. And as they stood with their lowered wings, and above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis luzli. And high above that throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as, as if full of fire. And then from down there, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. It, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of the one speaking. This is what typically happens when people come face to face with the living God. They fall to their face overwhelmed. Isaiah, woe to me from a man of unclean lips. Ezekiel falls to his face in reverential worship. These are just a few of the theophanies that we have throughout the Old Testament. And they absolutely help paint a picture of what our holy, holy, holy God is like. And so now let's go ahead and skip to the, the passage that we looked at on Sunday, Revelation chapter 4. I'm simply going to read it. And then I'm going to invite the life groups to kind of engage um, in discussing how this passage affects you. What, what jumps out at you as you read it? And I know that for those of you who are watching from home, this is the last thing you're going to hear from me, is you're going to hear Revelation chapter 4 writ, er, read out loud. I simply want you to let it wash over you as the vision of what John sees that he is then giving to us. Revelation 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice that I heard at first speaking to me like a trumpet, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper, and ruby, these precious gems that when light hits them, they radiate. And surrounding, um, I'm sorry, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. The radiance of the one sitting there is absolutely brilliant. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. These 24 elders most likely represent 12 from the, the 12 tribes of, of Judah or the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 from the New Testament, the 12 disciples. Most likely, a lot of theologians believe that these 24 elders represent the fullness of the people of God, both those from the Old Covenant, the, the 12 tribes, and those from the New Covenant represented by the 12 disciples. But we're not going to hold that tightly we're going to hold that interpretation loosely. But there were 24 elders on 24 thrones. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, very reminiscent of when God revealed himself on Mount Sinai, reminding us of his awesome power. From, uh, in front of the throne, seven lamps or torches were blazing. And these are the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit of God. Remember, the number seven is symbolic of completion. This is the complete spirit of the living God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass 
clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Nothing is hidden from their sight. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under its wings. But what they look like is of secondary importance to what they do. They call the people to worship. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Remember, in Greek, you don't have uppercase, lowercase, bold, bold letters. If you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. So what does he want to emphasize? God's holiness. He is holy other, set apart from the rest of creation. There's nothing like him. He's not sullied by the sin of this world. He's not insecure and tyrannical like the leaders that they are used to. He's not immature and, and, and whimsical like the pantheon of Roman gods that the people worshipped. He is holy other. He is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever these living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They take off their crowns, the symbols of their authority, and they lay them down before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Every breath we take, every moment that we're awake is a gift from our God. Because he not only created this world, he holds it together by the power of his will. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Those of you who are in life groups and who are here, uh, we have some questions in our homeward. You guys are going to discuss those. Um, for those of you at home, those are going to be available on this stream as soon as this is done. I believe those are going to be uploaded in a little bit. Um, if you would like them in advance, you can just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and we'll email them out to you in advance, or you can pick them up on Sundays if you're going to be watching the Wednesday from home, but you come on Sundays. Grateful that you joined us, and I hope that at some point you'll come and join us here in person because a lot of the value of this time is getting to have conversations in our life groups, and so that's what's going to happen here. Hope you have a wonderful week. A theophany is an encounter with God, kind of when, when, he sh when God shows up. Uh-huh. Nassim, are we finished with the stream? Let's be finished with the stream.